You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Sean Johal is the founder of Elevation Coach, co-founder of Dow's Lighting, a scaling up certified coach and former entrepreneurs organization president based out of Montreal. Sean works with entrepreneurs in their businesses to help accelerate their growth while finding personal balance and happiness. He actively participates in mentoring programs, helping young entrepreneurs prove both as business leaders and individuals. In today's discussion, Sean talks about what's critical to becoming a more confident and happy leader. Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. Myself, Ron Lovett, and our guest, uh, Sean Johal. Sean, welcome to the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm super pumped to have you on today. Thank you for having me. I am very excited to be here. And Sean uh, has, has a business elevation, which I follow online. Love your content, Sean. Uh, I know you're very passionate about being a, a business coach. I know you're a certified scaling up coach. And I think that was almost what originally brought us together is that in that uh, the scaling up world, correct? Yeah, exactly. You know, well, we met through EO, I think a couple of years ago, but very softly. And then recently with Vern and all the great work you've been doing through scaling up, we had a chance to talk again and connect again. Yeah. yeah well, look, I'm excited to jump into some stuff today because I, I, I follow you online, love your, I love your content. You've got great stuff coming out. And so I, I would encourage anyone to follow you on LinkedIn or on other platforms or on Twitter, probably. Absolutely. Well, yeah. LinkedIn is really where I spend most of my time. It's the, right. I've become pretty obsessive with it. I think it's such a great place to post, you know, both business content, but also bring in a little bit of that personal development side as well. Yeah. So look, I'm going to just kind of jump in, Sean. Um, I know, you, you know, this theme of happiness and leader happiness, you know, because everybody, it, it seems like the old version was work-life balance and you'll be happy. What, what do you think about that? And tell me more about, you know, your thoughts on, you know, the playbook for a leader to be happier individual? Absolutely. Great question. Um, you know, it's interesting, the work-life balance angle, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about it. Most people don't believe in it. Uh, I think there's a choice to be made there. You know, when I came back from uh, my previous business, we actually, the first family business we had ended up going bankrupt and it was a very stressful business, super high growth, a public company. And, you know, everything was about presenting numbers, was just working midnight oil. We were all putting in, you know, 12, 14 hours a day and it burnt a lot of us out. And when I started my new business, which was an LED lighting business back in 2009, my business partner and I, and he's my brother-in-law as well. So we kind of had that family tie-in. We actually made a very conscious decision to have a business, you know, and we would sacrifice some potential growth for more balance because we didn't have it in our previous Tough choice to make. Tough yeah, choice. exactly. And so, you know, what we explained that to employees as well. So we'd hire people and we'd say, listen, you're here 8.30 to 5.00. You know, work hard, do the best you can, but we don't have any expectations for you to work in the evenings, to work on the weekends. Um, and, you know, I think that that was good for the type of people we wanted to bring in. Mm-hmm. That being said, I think that if you're following your passion, so if you're actually doing something that you really love, and there's a lot more to that element, I don't think it's yeah. so, as easy as just following your passion. I think there is an opportunity to, you know, put in endless hours because they won't feel like work. And so, you know, every time you're, you're touching that stuff that you're doing, you know, on a professional side, if you really love what you're doing, you know, you can just put in endless hours and have boundless energy, right? Well, this is it because, you know, and I certainly think about this myself. You know, one question I, I kind of ask myself and kind of ask the universe is, can you build an incredible business without being obsessed about it? Can you do that? And if you're obsessed about it, by the way, then other things are going to fall, you know, uh, you know, even, 
your own, um, your ability to be present is going to fall, you know, because you're going to wake up and think about or Sorry, not going to wake you up at night thinking about it. You'll wake up thinking about it. Someone's talking to you. You're thinking about it. That, that has happened to me multiple times. It certainly doesn't feel balanced. What are your thoughts? Can, you know, based on that, but there's, there's an amount of happiness that's in there as well. You know, does that make sense? Do you need to be obsessive to, to grow an incredible company? Or have well, so it, around you? Yeah, it's a fantastic question, Ron. I think, it's a, I think there's so much choice that needs to be made in all this conscious decision-making, which a right. lot of us don't make. You know, when most of us start our businesses, what I notice happening most of the time is that you have an idea, you have a path to revenue of some type, and then you just go all in, right? It doesn't, yeah. You're not really thinking this through. You're not being deliberate about what you're trying to accomplish. You're just trying to get this thing off the ground. And then you have all kinds of challenges, cash flow and people and, you know, the wrong, the wrong people in the wrong seats. You have no strategy. You're just trying to get that next order and get paid by your client. Yeah. And then after a few years of feeling kind of stressed out by it, then we see a lot of entrepreneurs starting to try to structure their lives and their businesses in a better way. Um, so, you know, I think inherently as an entrepreneur, often you're going in there with the expectation that it's going to be challenging and you're going to live some stress. However, I think where there's something lacking big time is in that level of being really conscious about the way you live your life outside of your business. Right. You know, most of us have families. Most of us have friends. Um, when we're entrepreneurs, you know, they, they often merge, right? You know, we're both part of the entrepreneurs organization. It's funny how those people end up becoming a lot of times our best friends because yeah. they get what we're going through. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, where I see a big problem happening with that balance issue that you're talking about is taking your work back into your personal life. Mm -hmm. And to me, mm -hmm. that's a no-go. And I think it causes massive problems. You know, divorce rates are continuing to climb and yeah. you know, children's unhappiness and you know, obsessiveness with electronics is, is, is climbing as well. And that's because, you know, a lot of parents, leaders, entrepreneurs, you know, don't have that same energy when they go back home. And so the question is, how are you going to make that deliberate decision? How are you going to make sure you have the same presence and energy at home mm -hmm. as you have in your business or, you know, as a leader? I know we talked a little bit about this when I was a guest on, on your podcast. Um, and, and I'm curious, how, you know, how does someone make the shift without hitting rock bottom? Because usually sometimes change happens at rock bottom. My, my wife's going to leave me. I need to do something. My kids are, they're having challenges, you know, and so this is huge, like, boom, I need to make a huge decision. How, how are you coaching leaders to, to, to not go that far, to not hit rock bottom, but to make a shift halfway through the process or, you know, Absolutely. Great question. It's a challenge. It's a challenge because the first question is, does the entrepreneur and does the leader want to do it? You know right. what I mean? Because sometimes we think we want to, but a lot of times, you know, unfortunately I meet leaders and entrepreneurs that prefer to be at work yeah. and even being in their personal lives. So, you know, first thing we have to do is, okay, what is it you're trying to accomplish? What are your goals? Mm -hmm. And we always look at the four buckets, right? You have your personal goals, you have your business goals, you have your community goals. Um, you know, and then, you know, your family goals as well, which are separate from personal, you know, that's not the same. So you got to be able to separate those two differently. Mm -hmm. You have your personal life, but your family's not who you are personally. You have to take care of your family in a different way. So once we figure out, okay, what is it you're trying to accomplish as a goal, then we can start working towards, you know, balancing out what you're trying to accomplish. One thing, one trick that we like to do is I teach entrepreneurs, and this came from Warren Rustand, you know, if you know him, oh, I yeah. You such yeah. a, he's my mentor, such a great individual. Mm -hmm. He said, okay, I want you to teach entrepreneurs to build their schedule over two weeks in 15 minute increments. Mm -hmm. And they actually, actually have to cover a uh, color code every single part of every 15 minute segment and say, if it's which bucket that's falling into, 
And with those calls, you'll know right away if the person is spending too much time on their business, you know, they're giving mm -hmm. their family time enough, do they have a bit of personal time to decompress? And it's a great way of going about it. So I think, you know, figuring out the priorities, putting the schedule in place are probably two of the biggest elements that you, you need to do. And another thing that, you know, I learned from High Performance Habits, you know, Brendan Burchard is this idea and this concept around identity. So, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you got a bunch of things happening, right? Mm. You, maybe you're going to be running a podcast, for example, today. You have a business to run on the side. You got, you know, your kid who hasn't slept the night before. You have different identities in a day. The thing is, you can't be bringing one identity into the next part of your life, uh, the next part yeah. of your phase. So one thing that you know, I like unpack that mindset, energy, what do you mean by identity? Yeah, by identity, I mean, okay, if you need to be a very focused business person, right. that's a very I different identity than being a super patient father or mother, for example, right? It's not the same. They're two right. different things, although I've heard a lot of comparisons between employees and children, but you know, I'm not going to take it in that direction. The reality is that you, know, you need to have this different identity. So when your workday ends, and the thing is, I know your workday might continue again at nine or 10 o'clock at night. I know a lot of entrepreneurs kind of log back in and that's fine if that's what you need to do. But that period between let's say six and nine, where you're going to become a family person, you need to have a routine that says, okay, six o'clock, I'm shutting down and you should say it. Literally say it, Ron. Yeah. That sounds totally weird and cheesy, but say out loud, shut down complete. You know, we got this from Cal Newport from his book, yeah. A Deep Work. Oh, shut yeah. down complete. And now, now you're, you're done. Your work day is done. Give yourself about 30 seconds before you go into your new identity. You need to have that separation to mm -hmm. say, okay, Transition. I need presence. Yeah, I'm switching. I'm mm -hmm. changing identities. I'm changing personalities. I need a different superpower now. I right. need the superpower of patience. Mm -hmm. with my family of presence and now go into that with the right mindset so that you can actually be there, get your phone, put it in a, you know, I, we have a phone box that we put away in our house and our family, Great. six to 9 PM. No one's allowed touching the phones. Mm -hmm. They're in the box. Mm -hmm. The box is closed. Don't even try to get to the box. My son often finds a way to get into the box, but yeah. you now he's 12 years old. He's a sneaky kid, but you know, for the most part, we do a pretty good job with it. And that's, and that's our family time with our new identities. Well, it's interesting. I, you know, I was really, uh, really thinking about how do I bring my, you know, what you were talking about, you know, that we do certain things in business. And so, you know, how can I use those skills for home? And, you know, it comes back to a saying, and I don't know where this came from, but, but everything, you know, business certainly and everything is by default or design. I talk about that in culture, you know, and so, but your family life is by default or design too. Things are going to happen and then you'll default to dealing with them as they happen. And so, and it warrants been a huge, um, advocate of this is, you know, and I started this last June with my wife is, is starting with a whiteboard and planning life, not, not too crazy detail, but at 10,000 feet, you know, we went through this process of what do we want the next year to look like? And what does that look like? How much time do we want to spend with each other? What dreams do we want to chase? Do we have any bucket list for ourselves? How do we support each other in that? How, what does work look like and home life support for that? What does uh, our relationship with our children, how much time individually is Saturdays, no work and Sundays is some balance. We, we had these conversations and, and huge debate. You know, my wife comes from a great family where um, their parents did a phenomenal job. And so my wife's thought was, you know, look, it'll just happen. We're good people. It'll just happen. And I'm saying, no, it won't just happen. Like life's different and there's different things happening. And so it's either going to control us or we can try to you know, be in control of it. And so 
we certainly butted heads a lot on the process, but, um, and I think a mistake I made or we made was, was doing that for a year. We have young kids under four and every quarter is changing so rapidly. I would have went back and, and now I try to implement this at a quarterly basis. What are your thoughts? Is that too much into the weeds to do in your family life? What do you think? I think it's amazing, Ron. I think, you know, you and I are big believers of this concept and, you know, we both you know, believe in everything that Warren teaches us being again, like really deliberate about your personal life and your personal vision is huge. Like if you're not doing that, how do you expect to have the life that you want and you desire? And so many people, first of all, a lot of people don't do it in their business, which is absolutely necessary, but yeah. no one really does it in their personal and family lives, which is also as important. So mm -hmm. this concept that you have of, you know, building this life by design, putting in place your goals, you know, understanding what your bucket list is, what your dreams are for each other. Um, once you have that, it's so much easier to start going small step by small step, you know, we call them baby steps and just work towards those goals. Yeah. So I'm with you 100% on that. I think it's massive. Great. And let me go, go to, you know, business culture. So first question, the clients you're dealing with, is there any uh, correlation between the individual entrepreneur that he or she is kind of happy and I don't know, balance is the word. And so that they have a stronger culture or happy at work or not. What are you seeing? So there's an absolute correlation, but let me tell you, and you might've noticed this through, through EO, you know, not only with the clients that I work with, but if I look at even the entrepreneurs that are around me, when I really learned this lesson was the first, first year I joined EO, which was in 2010. And we do the one word open, right? And I integrated this with my clients too. And the one word open, I'd say to you 98% of the time is something negative. It's stressed, right. overwhelmed, overworked, pressure, freaking out, can't keep up. You know, these are the type of words that you're hearing. And it was really shocking to me because I'm, you know, I have a diagnosed positivity bias. It's actually diagnosed and it might sound amazing, but it's never good to be on any extreme. And so I don't see any right. blind spots, you know? So for me, everything's just amazing. And you know, it's something that the bridge could be falling and I'm just Why you like my book so much. It's, it's a blind spot. Exactly. Your, your book was phenomenal. <laughs> That's no question. That wasn't a blind spot, but you know, all this to say that, the majority of times I see entrepreneurs are, are very unhappy and then what, the, what happens is they're stressed out and they're usually projecting that into their company, into their business. Right. And there really is this philosophy that, you know what, that's just the way it is running a business. It's tough. It's challenging. We're going to be unhappy. Mm -hmm. I totally disagree with that. I think that, you know, running a business should be a fun experience because this concept that you're going to be happy the day you sell, you know, that's nonsense. Like, you know, maybe one out of hundred entrepreneurs will just have this incredible crazy exit and they'll be so happy and everything will be great. Most of the time, this is a, you know, this is a, a draining slog or you're just going through it. It's a, it's a hustle every single day. Yeah. You need to be happy during the entire process, not just at the end of it. And so to be honest with you, as a coach is going in there and when I do a lot of my pitches, you know, the first part of my pitch is saying, you know what, I've implemented scaling up for the last seven years of my own business. Here are the incredible results we've had, tripled revenue, tripled bottom line, 10 times evaluation. I can help you do that, number one. But more importantly, I know how to take you from being stressed out, overworked, and freaking out, and I'll take you to a level of happiness where you'll actually love your business. You know, you won't be working as much in it. You'll be working more on it, but your level of happiness will absolutely go up. And that's one of my pitches, to be honest with you, Ron. I explained to them, I'm going to teach you how to be happier in your business every single day. So let's go, let's go a level down now into the entrepreneur who brings, you know, their energy, uh, they project themselves into their culture. What are you seeing with your clients? What are, what are some of the best cultures you've seen? 
and and most challenging cultures. And and and, and is there a correlation with culture and results in business? What do you see? The correlation is absolutely crucial. You know, I would say to you that again, maybe 95% of the time, there's a direct correlation between the quality of the team and the quality of their happiness and how well the company is doing. That's for sure. The only exception I ever see is when their company has such an amazing product that's revolutionary. And you know, the product is so in demand that they don't really care about what they kind of have as infrastructure Mm -hmm. after that. But the majority of time, the correlation is very, very direct between the two. If you want to build the attributes of of that, sorry, maybe you wrote to say that. Sorry, go ahead. Absolutely. Yeah, the attributes are are very key. First of all, employees understand the vision. So that's number one. They know where this company is going. And Mm -hmm. by the way, the vision is not financial. Right. You know, I got to get entrepreneurs away from that. The majority of time I go into businesses, I say, what's your long-term goal? I hear a number. I said, do you understand that that number means nothing to anyone except yourself? You are the only person who gives a crap about getting to 100 million to 50 million to a billion dollars, that yeah. is not gonna help anybody in this business. I said, we're gonna get away from that. We're not talking about no number, that's nonsense, okay? Mm-hmm. We're gonna focus in on a long-term vision, you know, a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal that is non-financial, it's gonna inspire your entire team. So number one, you gotta build a vision. Then something you believe in tremendously, I know, is values. So are you teaching and building the values? By the way, they should be built with the employees, so not be given to the employees. You need to build it with the employees. And I always say values are based on three things. Can you use them to hire? Can you use them to fire? And can you use them as the golden compass, you know, for an employee to know what to do in a difficult situation? Mm-hmm. And the third thing, third thing, and this, I don't know if you know Robert Glazer. Uh, from, yeah, I know. You know I, I, I Robert's had him in our chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing, amazing speaker, amazing uh, author. He taught us something in our business. You know, uh, my, my business partner is in a quantum leap form with him. I'll never thank Robert enough for what he taught us. He taught us how to give employees success outcomes. And what that means is you tell them, okay, by the way, over the next year, here's what success looks like for you in six months. And here's what it looks like in 12 months. And you're actually going to write it in a story format where it's something they've already accomplished. So you're telling them the story of their success and now they can visualize what it's going to take to be successful. Very cool. I love that. To me, that's changed everything. We do it on the scorecards for an employee every year, and we do it on job descriptions. Just to tell you how powerful this really is, Ron, I just hired my first employee in my new coaching business, and Mm -hmm. we got 50 employees over in the lighting business, but my first one in the new coaching business, I needed a digital marketing coordinator. I use this idea of building, you know, these success outcomes, because for me, that, you know, that vision for the employee to get them to that level of satisfaction and happiness is so important. I put out the job description on LinkedIn, 72 hours, I got 247 job applications. Wow. A digital marketing coordinator. I shut down the role because I just had too many great applications. So it cost me $181 to find what, who is now, and I'll say her name. Her name is Agnella. She's, she's my she's starting very shortly. And she is going to be an employee who came from this, you know, this process of giving employees a roadmap to success, which I think is so important in a company culture. But sorry, so you wrote the story. Just walk me through that. What did you do? Absolutely. So what you do, you take the scorecard, you put the values first. So I have my values up there. Your then you put the why. Yeah. Then you put the why of the job, not the mission, not the vision, the why. Why does this job exist? Like, yeah. What is the actual purpose of this job? Mm-hmm. And then you go through the six month success outcomes. So then I explain to the future, uh, the future candidate, okay, 
within six months, you'll have taken over my entire social media platforms and you'll be posting directly, you know, great stories. You'll have figured out how to run quizzes for our different clients that we have. You'll have given me a roadmap and for all my different platforms to have, you know, greater success. You're going to build my email newsletter list. I'm really already saying it as if like it's already been done. And so the person who reads it and says either one, I can do this, like no yeah. problem. Yeah. Or number two, I have the potential and capacity to do it even if I haven't done it. Mm. So it just makes it crystal clear, right? So yeah. they can't come in thinking, okay, what is this job all about? And I, the number of people around that told me I applied solely on the basis of the job description, right. that it was so exciting. It sounded so fun. Like I wanted into this process, you know, mm -hmm. almost half the candidates told me that. So, so it's interesting because it didn't sound like there was, you know, the typical, you know, here's what you need. Uh, you know, here's some skills that you need. And also I didn't hear, Hey, here's what's in it for you. You can work from anywhere. You can do this. Or maybe it had that, those things. Did it have a sales component that says, Hey, if you work here, here's what this is going to look like. Not just here's what your future job will look like. So the, the last elements that we always like to add are the top five responsibilities. And yeah. again, I always try to explain to people and my clients who implement this, don't go micro. Like no one wants to hear that they're going to be, you know, uh, going and doing a check run or they're going to be like printing yeah. things off a photocopier for God's sakes. Like just get to the point of like those top five key things they need to do. Yeah. And yes, we do put in a part that we call competencies and you always make sure the competencies are based on the role and not obviously a person specifically. And you make sure the person fits into these competencies. What's really cool is that when you do that for existing employees, cause it's the same scorecard, which is really cool. Yeah. It's the same yeah. one for a new job and an existing job. When you do it for an existing job, you have the core competencies. The, the employee can say, okay, I'm really good at these yellow, green, red, like it's very simple process. Am I good at this? Am I not good at this? And by the way, if there's a couple of competencies they don't have, now you as the direct manager has the responsibility to develop your employee on those competencies. So that's where a development plan comes in after this. It's very, very easy to follow. And what about the last piece? Do you say, hey, you know, here's the benefits to working with me. Here's, do you have that section or? No, I don't there? do it. I explain what the business is trying to accomplish. Yeah. So I do have a little mm -hmm. section that says, here's elevation. Here's what we're all about. Here's what we're trying to do. So just that. And then here's what success looks like for you in this role. Yeah. That's it. I don't start trying to oversell it because to me, I've really had the experience that success outcomes are mm -hmm. plenty to attract the right candidates. Okay. Great. Love that. Um, I wanted. I'm curious. I want to talk about Sean. Uh, what are you seeing, you know, with your clients and in your own business? What is the balance that you're coaching leaders on, founders, et cetera, on, on the balance of empathy, compassion, but accountability? That is a fantastic question. So what ends up happening is what I noticed is that a lot of times it's going to, again, be based a lot on the leader's personality, right? There are some leaders, and you, as you know, Ron, being a great leader yourself, there's a lot of different types of leadership, right? You have leaders that like to lead by example. There's leaders that are very collaborative, so they know how to bring collaboration. Uh, there's leaders that are, you know, all about vision, and they're visionary leaders. And so, you know, you don't get always enough type of leaders who understand a lot about empathy. As a matter of fact, you know, we talk about these color personalities, and some of them, a lot of leaders are in that red category, which is the dominant category. Mm -hmm. And that category specifically doesn't have a lot of empathy tied into their type of personality. So it's harder right. for them as leaders to show that. So, you know, when we go into there, the accountability piece is handled very easily just based on the fact that we really go deep diving into priorities for the company, priorities for the, the employees after a cascade. And so the accountability piece actually gets settled pretty easily when we work together. 
What doesn't get settled as easily is this exact thing you're talking about, this empathy, this compassion, mm -hmm. this listening component. But what we try to teach our clients to do is that by having a super clear scorecard, and then you're going to be systematically meeting your employees. I say systematically, but it's every single quarter where you're sitting yeah. down with them having a conversation. The biggest part that we do, which brings this, and it brings it in a different way, and it's not like... Uh, is this a quarterly review, Sean? It's, a, it's like a quarterly review. But what we do, and I'll bring it on a different angle, okay? Because this is a different concept. I teach my clients to do something that I call systematic recognition, okay? okay? We have a huge problem in businesses, huge. All of us have it, almost all of us. We always think that we're showing our employees appreciation. Right. We think we are. If you ask any entrepreneur, they're going to say, yeah, yeah, we're taking care of employees. Then no, no, you know, bonus or, you know, I give them a pat on the back or I told them he's doing a good job. And then when you speak with the employees, because I go into every level of the company, I say, do you feel appreciated in your job? 99% of the time people say no. They'll say no. They'll say, uh, do I actually feel appreciated? No, I don't really feel appreciated in this business. People understand that I'm doing a good job in some cases. I might hit my bonuses, but am I actually being appreciated? You know, no, I'm not being appreciated. So we bring in this concept of systematic recognition, systematic appreciation. Mm -hmm. So what it is, is that every quarter we define on a very specific chart, where do the employees fall into this? And so the, the axes that we look at are values versus productivity. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you have to have max values and max productivity to be considered an A player. And yep. to be considered an A player, the magic, you know, expression that I always give to my clients is if you had a human cloning machine, mm. hey, this exists and it might exist somewhere in the world for all we know, but if this existed, would you clone that employee? Mm -hmm. you know, would you want a bunch of ROMs running around the business, you know, and, 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 and causing all kinds of havoc? Would that be exciting for you? Would you be happy? And it's a very easy question to answer. Most of the time it's, it's a straight yes or no. They'll say, yeah. oh yeah, I'd love to clone this person. Yeah. Or, no, that person's not going to be cloned. And anytime we come up with an A player, I don't care if you have 50 employees or 500 employees. To me, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Every quarter, you need to systematically recognize that employee. Mm. Now, let me explain what that means. It doesn't mean that you're sending them a check. Okay, for anybody who's about to have a heart attack on this, you know, mm. listening to this podcast, it's not about the money. It's about how are you going to make them feel like they're part of your company. Right, right. Here's one of the least expensive tricks I've ever seen that works incredibly well. You have a dollar store near you, right? I would imagine. Yeah, yep. I go there all the time. I love it. There you go. You go there all the time. You're going to be going more and more with your kids as they grow up. It gets, gets out of hand. So you're going there all the time. You buy a pack of cards, 10, 10 uh, cards in a pack, 10 cents each, right? You spend 10 cents. Let's call it five cents of ink. You get to your desk. You write a card to the employee from the entire strategic management team. Hey, Ron, you've been doing a phenomenal job over the last 90 days. This company appreciates the work you do for us. You are a key member of our team. We couldn't do, without, do this without you. Please keep it up. You're being recognized by all of your peers and by upper management. Mm -hmm. And you hand that card to that employee. Do you realize the impact that will have for that employee when they get home, right. go to their family, go to their spouse, you know, see their kids and tell them and show them, you know what the company gave me today? You know, mm -hmm. it's a very simple gesture. It didn't cost anything. Right. But that brings a tremendous amount of value, for example. Yeah, I think a lot of leaders, and I've certainly been through this before, you know, take that, those small actions for granted, right? Because originally when you said quarterly, I thought, geez, that's, well, that's waiting a long time. But it sounds like more of a reflection uh, versus this like, okay, finally I sit you down, Sean. It sounds, like I, it, it, it sounds like you're coaching to reflect and really sit and see if you've done that or am I getting that wrong? 
You got it right. We, you know, that's why they have to do it with me in the room because okay, I got to make sure they've done it properly. And yeah. I take them through all the employees. And often if there's, if there's 500 employees, they have to do it in advance. So we come there and we always speak about the key, you know, the key issues because, you know, You're we recognize report, the, So, right. You're not, I mean, if, if I had you know, 30 staff at one company, I'm not doing all three. I'm not connected. It's direct reports or. It's your direct reports. You're always in charge of your direct reports. Or every manager comes with their direct reports taken care of. We systematically recognize the A players, and then we got to take care of what we call the BC players. Mm-hmm. So the BC players are the brilliant jerks, okay? Every business has these. Anytime I meet an entrepreneur and I explain this concept to them, like three or four light bulbs go off. Basically, a brilliant jerk is someone who's incredibly productive, yeah. but who has no belief in the company values or company culture. So they how do they deal with that? What do they do? How do you so the, the reality, Ron, the reality yeah. is that over time, they're either fired or they leave. Uh, they usually do not stay. A strong company culture, again, if you're looking at that axis, you have the A players. You yeah. have what we call the B players. You're going to have a lot of B players. B players, are they believe in company values. Their productivity is not quite as good as we want, but they, you know, they're yeah. good. They get it done. They show up every day. They're loyal. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they don't go above and beyond, but they get the job done. Yeah. So anybody above that line is good to go. You get, you're going to have a bunch of that. I usually, I like to have a mix of about 50-50, 50% of A players, 50% of mm-hmm. B players. Yep. More tech companies, you get 60% of A players. You know, it's more of a 60-40 rule. Anybody below the line, I always explain to entrepreneurs, I said, anybody we're categorizing in C, C, by the way, is no values, no productivity. So if you have no, somebody who has no values, no productivity, you have to fire them. I tell people, you know, that's fired immediately. So and is it careful. like a top grading methodology? One quarter, you're out. Oh yeah, it's one quarter. That's it. And the BCs are really tough because what happens is, as you know, entrepreneurs love productive people, right? We love them. Like it's just the bread and butter of making a business be profitable and move forward in the right direction. And what happens is unfortunately, um, a lot of times these VCs are protected. So we're going to protect them. We're going to say, you know what? No, we can't let Ron go. Ron gets out a thousand orders an hour. There's no way we could live and survive as a business without Ron. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, you know what? Ron does get out a thousand orders an hour, but Ron is causing poisonous, you know, bringing cancer into seven different right. departments. Right. He's telling his, you know, colleagues to F off most of the day causing and turnover, he won't yeah. take any feedback. And I said, that's causing employee morale to go way down. It's killing your company culture. And so it takes a long time for them to get it. So from, as you uh, self-proclaim, Mr. Positivity, what does that conversation look like? I'm, I'm, I'm that person, you know, you've gone through this process. Um, I'm not working out. You know that my values are low. My productivity is high. What does that look like? I'm, I'm give it to me. I'm sit me down. Okay. So it's, I sit down with Ron. I explain to Ron. I say, listen, we have company core values. You already know, by the way, the company core values are part of the quarterly uh, discussions. So yeah. I always could give my clients a one sheet where you have the core values, three smart goals. That's all we look at. Yeah. That's all the employee gets per quarter. Follow the values, hit these three metrics and you're good to go. You'll yeah. be able to steer forever. So we're going to sit down and say, regardless of those three metrics, you have to do as well in the company core values. And now mm-hmm. the company core values are written there, three to five of them, whatever you have. And now there's going to be a color code. And if there's red in any of the company core values, that leads to a warning. You did not follow these X company core values. Unfortunately, you're getting either a verbal warning or a written warning because part of our company is to follow company core values. There's no negotiating on that. That is not an option. That is part of your job description. Now, right. what's sneaky and happens is that BC players are super smart. So what will happen is they will start living your core values. Usually it lasts a month or two, but it doesn't last very long because they're smart enough to kind of act nice for a little while, but then a lot Mm -hmm. of times they'll come back to their old ways. And Mm -hmm. that's why we do it quarterly. So when you see it, you know, after one or two or three quarters, that big red 
dot on their name and it's happened a couple of quarters in a row, that's when we know that we have to put an action plan in place. To so let me give you an example. So let's say you sat me down and my value violation was, uh, I, I, in part of the values, I need to coach my peers to improve. And I just, I'm not coaching my team. And so you say, look, Ron, it's part of the values. Here's your, you know, you're going to give me a written warning and tell me, I want to stop there because I don't, I don't agree with written warning. Uh, but, but what's the strategy behind the written warning? Because I, my belief system is now I've, I've done something and I'm, you know, if I give you a written warning, there's trouble. You know, I believe that this is just my own belief slash opinion that, that, that that action, you know, because I would say every action, whether it's a text, conversation, voicemail, it doesn't matter, email, you're going to bring a relationship closer or separate the relationship. So if I receive the written warning, I know that I'm in trouble. And so I, I, it's, it's separated our relationship a little bit. It's going to, how do I, how do you inspire me to get back into, to, to now coach? You know, I've got a, and you're going to tell me, are you going to tell me one quarter clean up or get out? Like, what does it keep going? What does that look like? So, so here's the tricky thing, Ron, and I love the way you're saying that. I actually agree with you on the written warning part. Most of the time, once that written warning's out there, it can never be taken back. Yeah. And the majority of employees don't ever get over that written warning, mm -hmm. right? They get disgruntled. They're pretty That's unhappy. right. They take that home too. Just they like, take the, that home. like the, you did great for the company letter, the written warning goes home, you know, with them. Yeah, absolutely. So here's the thing. When I'm talking to my clients about this, they know that, right? They know that a written warning is going to cause a lot of problems and yeah. most likely there's no more future. The thing is, the written warning is more just a precursor to letting that employee go. Right. It's At the end of the day, that's really what it is. You're doing it in a legal way to be yeah. careful because you don't want to just you know, fire people left, right, and center. You got to do it yeah, the yeah. right way. And I explain to people, yes, that written warning is likely going to mean that this person will either leave on their own right. Right. or you're going to have to fire them down the line. So a lot of times, because you protect these brilliant jerks, a lot of people won't even get to that point, meaning they won't mm -hmm. do it. Because I've right. seen people protect brilliant jerks for years, not just quarters. I mean, I see it happen for two, three, four years. Of course. In my own business, we protected a, a brilliant jerk for four years. Mm. You know, we, we did it. I made that mistake. You know, my business partner, we were arguing. It was just a productivity machine. And one day, you know, that person ended up actually leaving on their own because mm. we had changed the company culture so much and brought in so many other A players that they didn't feel part of the culture anymore. But I agree with you. Once you get that written warning, I mean, that's very difficult to get. You know, it's back to this like empathy, compassion versus accountability a little bit. And, you know, I've always taken, not always, because it certainly took a long time um, to get to this place. And I've certainly butted heads with lots of HR internal management that work for us, which the belief for them is cover your butt, get it in writing, or you'll be in trouble. And yeah. in some cultures, I think that that is correct. And, um, and that's an important piece of paper to have. Interesting enough, in my, I'm 41 now, in my 20 years of being an entrepreneur, I've never issued a written warning ever to anybody. I've never had one piece of paper. And some people are like, what? What do you mean? You had, you know, close to 3,000 staff in the security world. I've always taken, uh, and I'm curious to your thoughts on this, I always take a very different approach um, to try to get to a result. So what that conversation for me looks like is, okay, Sean, um, whether it was, let's go back to coaching. You didn't, you, you know, we need you to coach your team. It's part of our values and it's important for them. It's important for the company. And so I'm going to really give you the why here. Um, and, and, and it's critical for this, the role you're in because you're in a leadership role. So what I'd like to do is agree that, you know, over the next three months, if we can't get you there, if, 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 if you can't naturally, and I will support you through that. We'll hear some podcasts. 
here's someone to talk to, et cetera, et cetera. So, I, so from a compassionate standpoint, I'm going to support you. And you know that my intention is that you become the best coach possible in this organization. We talked about this in your podcast. So, so, so you know I have a good intention. But I'll also bounce that with reality, which is, but Sean, let's, let's, let's talk about the end here. If we can't get you there, if you're not interested, you, 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 know, you can't get to a place where the company needs you, then let's agree that we're going to part ways. Let's agree. Does that make sense to you? And if you part ways, Sean, that doesn't mean, hey, your stuff's going to be in a box at the 90-day mark. It means let's have a conversation knowing it didn't work out and how can we help you move to your next opportunity. That's been my approach. And I'll tell you, I've never, no one's ever taken me to the tenancy board. No one's ever taken me. I've never had a lawyer uh, write me to say, you've let Sean go and how dare you and we're going to sue you. I've never had that. And is that, Am I lucky? What do you, what do you, what do you thought? What do you think? It's a, it's a great question. I think, I think, uh, I don't want to say that you're lucky. I think you in particular, you know, have a very, very unique leadership style, Ron. And I can just see, you know, one of your employees in that room with you having that conversation. I think what's not to be taken lightly and to not to be overstated is the fact that you have that ability because you have empathy, you have strong leadership right. skills. I see a lot of entrepreneurs that don't have that. They're not able to have the conversation that you just told me. Right. Now you're asking all, because a lot of people don't have the outrageous empowerment model. A lot of people have middle management. Now yeah, I'm yeah. teaching a lot of middle managers to have these discussions right. and it's very challenging for them mm -hmm. to do so. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the mechanism that we've come out with is, you know, try to do it in such a way where it's humane and you're really having that conversation. Yeah. And I really need to identify them with them if this person truly is a brilliant jerk, because sometimes they could be misdiagnosed as well. I'll give you an example if you have these layers of management, let's say the manager is the brilliant jerk. And now he has an employee working for him who's also a brilliant jerk. It might not even be brilliant. It could just be a jerk. Exactly, right? It's just jerk. But jerk is easy. You could just deal with the jerks. But when they're brilliant, that's where it's tough. But let's say you have that weird structure where you know, you've, mm. you've accidentally put a manager in place yeah. who has the wrong values and doesn't believe in what the company's trying to do. Mm -hmm. And you remove that manager, however you're going to go about it. And now you put an A-player manager with that, that brilliant jerk, then I've often seen those people in those BC positions change, change their mindset, get on board with the accountability. Yeah. That's about the only time I see it happen, mm -hmm. you know, is when they now be given an amazing leader who's inspiring them, teaching them the right way, coaching them the right way. And then they're able to make that shift. But for the most part, you know, these people are not, they believe so much in their own abilities, right? Because they are productive. So they're saying, what the hell are you complaining about? Right. I'm, I'm producing 10 times more than this guy, money. this girl, why are you giving me a hard time? Mm. But then it's the hammer in and say, well, listen, that's not enough. Like you said, mm. we're here, we're a team. We yeah. need you to be on board with our vision. We need you to believe yeah. in what we're doing. The thing is, a lot of times those conversations don't end up in the right place. I love your idea. I think you know, in my own business, I would definitely try to do it that way. And I've done it sometimes this in that case. This has happened. <laughs> yes, it's actually happened. But sometimes it's a little more challenging to teach my yeah, clients to do it that sure. way. And I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not stating they should do that. I'm just, this is my yeah. answer. I'm, no, but so, it's, a great, it's, a great, it's a great point. It's a good debate. That's for sure. It is. Yeah, I, I have it all the time with people. Um, so I want to wrap with this, uh, Sean. Break down. Give me the, 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 the breakdown of what makes a happy leader. What, what does that look like? Okay. Absolutely. Great question. Happy leader. What does it take to be a happy leader? Number one, self-awareness. Mm -hmm. Hey, you talked a little bit about the whole empathy, compassion. You need to have empathy and compassion for yourself. Okay. Mm -hmm. Stop being so hard on yourself. Understand where you're at with your levels of stress. Take a moment to do introspection. You need to change your routines. Okay. You need to stop starting your day with news and emails and all that crap. 
You got to give yourself, you know, 15 to 20 minutes to start your day on the right foot. What does that mean? It's different for different people. You know, do some gratitude journaling, get some positive vibes, do some positive reading, do a bit of meditation, do a bit of stretching and visualization. Stop starting your day by, you know, integrating something into your life that's going to cause you stress, anxiety, and frustration. Start with chaos. Boom. Alarm goes off. Go, 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 go. Right. That's what it is. And most people are grabbing that phone right away. And whether you want to see something in the news about Trump or, you know, our current government, or you want to see something about, you know, in your emails that someone's upset or someone needs something taken care of right away, where is that putting your mindset for the day? It's putting you in the completely wrong zone. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing you have to do. The second thing is you have to have check-in points during the day. So this is a trick that I've learned recently. You should be setting your alarm every morning three times in the day, okay? In moments where you're not in in important meetings or in a podcast, for example. And when that alarm goes off, it's a sign that you need to take a step back and you need to do a body check-in. Are you stressed right now? Can you relax? You know, are you feeling tense? Get outside, take a walk, go take some air, you know, Mm. take a step back to have two steps forward. I think that's huge. And then, you know, another part of it is also the the identity shift that we spoke about. Learn to, to, you know, separate identities. Don't take that stress from work back into your personal life. Mm -hmm. Try to change, learn to change identities. You know, our brains are very powerful things, right, Ron? Like we can do that. Like it's not that complicated. Mm -hmm. You just have to to learn and teach yourself. Mm -hmm. And then the final thing I'd say is that evening routine is also very key. You know, Mm -hmm. you should be doing, you're about to marinate for eight hours, right, into your sleep. You know, don't fall asleep with some crazy Netflix show. Don't fall asleep by with an angry email to, you know, a colleague or some a supplier who screwed you over. You know, do something positive before you go to sleep. Try to end it on the right note. I have two really funny sleep stories. So last night I had a dream that the old owner of the house uh, that I was, I, I found like this little secret compartment and I found a bunch of money, like bags of money. And I was like, oh God, because I know him. And I was like, yeah, but you know, it's, he was actually the, it was someone who lived there for two years in between. He's a local entrepreneur, mentor of mine, John Risley. And I'm just like, oh, and so in my dream, I'm like, he, you know, he did, he probably doesn't know this was here. <laughs> you know, I'm struggling with like, what am I going to do? So I woke up so stressed out. I'm like, do I, should I just go right down to his house? Maybe that, maybe it's not his, I don't know. Maybe and it was, uh, it was awful. And my second thing, which I was telling Amanda the story, I had a, mattress that uh, because sleep is so important to me and so i wanted to buy a really nice mattress and so six seven years ago i i a friend of mine's brother works at sleep country so i got a rocking price on the top mattress you could get so doing these gel foam things and so anyway the mattress was great and uh, but every time we would travel in the winter time we'd come home the heat would be down the thing would be literally you jump into bed you want to be comfortable and the thing was frozen like you'd be froze like getting on a board i didn't know what the hell was going on and so we moved to that was a few places ago we moved to our place where we just lived there for three years same thing i'm like you know it's fine but it's not good when it's cold and so we just moved last week as i mentioned um and my wife and I get on the mattress and I'm like, wow, this is very, I said, did you put a pillow top on top of this? And she said, no, it's very comfortable. I said, I, the only thing I could think of is the moving company must have had other things in the truck and, and maybe swapped it, but let's not tell them because this one's better. Like who cares? You know? And then we found out that we had been sleeping on our mattress for seven years upside down. It was our mattress. It was upside down for seven years. I love it. I love it. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so anyway. Flip the mattress and you're good to go. Flip the script. It, we're good to go. Sean, thank you for joining us today. A pleasure. Love chatting to you. I love our conversations. 
Um, thanks for, for your time today and your counsel. I appreciate it. And, and there's lots of nuggets, not just for me, but for our listeners. So thanks once again. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. It was awesome. Cheers. To learn more about Sean, Elevation Coach, or anything related to scaling culture, please see the show description for details. We'll be back next week with another incredible guest.